So good to be with you. Thank you for joining us today. We've been looking these weeks at the subject of relational wisdom. And today I want us to look at self-awareness, self-awareness. And uh, this is something that we uh, have many opportunities to grow in. Uh, if you were to go online right now, I'd, I'd rather you didn't go online right now, but, but uh, you would have the option or multiple options, questionnaires, surveys, uh, for a small fee and about half an hour of your time, you could discover who you really are. And uh, some of these, to me, seem a little bit of a fraud. You know, they ask you questions like, do you like being on your own? And you answer, yes, I like being on my own. And then you, 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 you pay your money and uh, press return. And then you get this, uh, this, this fascinating scientific disclosure where it says at the top of the sheet, you like being on your own and uh, you start to feel a little suspicious. There are many that are a bit more reputable. There, there are lots of fascinating insights. I've, I've done one or two of these myself. I think I do them wrong. I think the last one I did just about over a year ago uh, was scary, uh, terrifying in fact. When I finished uh, the survey and, uh, and pressed return, my computer uh, began to scream a klaxon noise and uh, big red flashing lights uh, and uh, big red letters on the screen, just the word psychopath came up and uh, uh, some paramilitaries came in through the window and took me to jail. Uh, I think I must have done something wrong. I think I answered it honestly. I think that was my mistake. Um, and I told them who I really am. Um, we, we do have lots of obsession, I would say, in this generation with knowing ourselves. Never before, probably definitely in human history have we given so much time attention money energy to really understanding ourselves uh, but at the same time it seems that our mental health generally the narrative is that it's not going up it's deteriorating and so it leaves me thinking is something wrong could it be that as we're becoming expert in really knowing ourselves we're at at the same time, really not becoming more fulfilled and more happy. In fact, perhaps we're not getting to know ourselves in the way that we thought we were. And this is, this is certainly one of the suggestions that's been made by this book and those who teach this book over the centuries. One of the, the great uh, teachers in the Christian church over the, the hundreds of years was uh, John Calvin, who famously said in, in, I think, a really remarkable opening to his famous book, The Institutes, he said, we do not grow in the knowledge of ourselves until we first begin to understand God. And he said, at the same time, we don't really begin to understand and know God until we start to truly understand ourselves. There's a kind of chicken and egg situation going on here, that, that true self-knowledge doesn't happen independently of God. And actually, we, we don't begin to understand God. We certainly don't value God and desire him until we begin to understand ourselves and our need of him. And so the two things complement each other. Now, what we've done as a society is quite <laughs> intentionally, quite deliberat deliberatively cut ourselves off from the knowledge of God as a foundation to knowledge. And so we've ended up with lots of self-awareness, but not much self-awareness, I would say. And it could be, could be that today for some of us, 
we begin a journey of true self-awareness, when we come back to what this book teaches about you and me, the way the Bible teaches us about ourselves is, is significantly, not only, but significantly through stories. And one of them is, is uh, the story of Elijah. And there's many we could go to today, but I've chosen Elijah uh, from the book of 1 Kings in the Old Testament, chapter 19. We're going to look at a part of his story. And just to give you some context, this is a heroic man. He has stood against the drift in his nation bravely, boldly, He's, he's courageously uh, confronted the king and won a, an, an amazing victory. In 1 Kings chapter 18, he is vindicated by divine power in a, in a showdown that we haven't got time to read right now, but you must read it. It is, it is epic. It's, it's better than any movie. It is astonishing. But what happens next is fascinating. And we'll pick up the story uh, in 1 Kings chapter 19. We see how Elijah begins to truly learn who he is and who God is. So let's, let's have it read to us now. 1 Kings chapter 19. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now. O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him, and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God's. There he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even only I, am left, and they seek my life 
to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of abel Mechalah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. There are so many things to be drawn out of this story. I'm, I'm just going to take three, uh, three, three things to learn, or in fact, three things that Elijah learns about himself. Three ways that God teaches Elijah about himself. First of all, his, his creatureliness. Uh, second of all, his, his own sin and failure. And, and thirdly and finally, his destiny and calling. We, we need to start with the creatureliness of Elijah. This is the story of a healing. Uh, Elijah comes into this part of the Bible uh, depressed to the point of suicide. Uh, it's an extremely dark and sinister part of his story. And, and he comes out of this chapter reaffirmed, recommissioned, and in many ways his greatest days are ahead of him. But the the process of transformation the chapter describes is not an instant one. It doesn't happen in, in one go. It doesn't happen through uh, an experience, an encounter that, that takes place that you, sort of within, within a certain space of time. It doesn't, it doesn't happen in a TED talk. It doesn't happen at a conference or because of one particular thing that he read in a magazine. It's, it's over time. You, you read about, for example, 40 days and nights of travel to Mount Horeb. It's, it's got pieces to it. It's, it's got phases involved. And this is instructive for us because it reminds us of the way that we're made. God has constructed you and me as humanity with, with flesh and blood and bones, with, with a physical makeup with an emotional makeup that, that requires management. And, and everything about us is intermingled. Our spiritual health is intermingled with our emotional, our, our mental health and our physical health. All these things connect. And so to, to serve somebody on a, on a spiritual level in terms of helping them to really understand themselves, we need to make sure that that person is, is truly understanding themselves as a full human being, and we need that each individually as well. Elijah, perhaps in a way that surprises us when we first read it, is first told to simply eat. And this is after he has slept, and then he gets to run, and he gets some solitude, he gets some time on his own. These are all pieces of his recovery, and I guess, through this season of lockdown, many of us have had to learn a lot about how to look after ourselves individually and to keep ourselves well. And a lot of it is just to do with understanding our limitations 
as human beings, our, our weaknesses, to know who we, we really are, <laughs> to know that we're not, we're not gods, we're not able to control all things in the way that we might sometimes begin to imagine we are and, and, and that our whole being, including our physical makeup, is part of how we are wired and necessarily kept, looked after. You look at the way that he, he understands his weakness through this process and you start to see how God sees Elijah. The, the Bible's so much to, has so much to say about the subject of human weakness. We, we tend to easily turn our sense of weakness into an occasion for shame or even guilt, and, and often quite falsely. We may start to imagine it because we don't feel competent in a certain area, because we're not capable, because we're, we're just creatures, that there's, there's something even morally flawed about that, and we start to feel a, a sense of corruption in it. We feel like we've fallen short on a more serious level because, well, I'm, I'm not good at that or I'm not good at this. And this could be your situation now in your life stage. Maybe you're a student and you're, you're struggling with a particular area of study and, and you, you're finding it so hard to achieve, but you're turning it into an occasion for, for guilt and shame without realising, no, this is an area of weakness in you and discerning the difference is going to help you very often. Maybe you're a mum and you're looking at other mums who seem omnicompetent. And they, you know, on Instagram, they all look like they, they are kind of without any blood, toil, tears and sweat, achieving epic results as mothers. And, and your experience is the precise opposite. And you think, well, there's something obviously, clearly, deeply, monstrously wrong with me in a way that there isn't with them. Without processing that, we're made differently. There are different areas where you will have strengths and different areas where you have weaknesses. And learning to distinguish these things, learning to see that where you have a weakness, certainly there is the potential for sin, certainly there is the temptation for sin that will be involved in your areas of weakness, but that in itself is not a sin. To be tempted, to be weak, well, it's actually it's just to be human. And to understand how God sees us, well, we got these reminders in places like the Psalms, Psalm 103, that, that as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He knows, he remembers that we are dust. We sing a, a famous hymn with that line, well, our feeble frame he knows. It's actually a, a, a beautiful line because it's true on more than one level. See, God doesn't just know that you're made from dust because he's read Genesis 1 or Genesis 2. It's not like he's just, well, I, I, I know that as a historical fact. God became human. God knows our experience of weakness for himself. And it's because of that that, as the, the book of Hebrews says, he's touched by the feeling of our weakness. He's not put off by it. He's not repulsed. But in fact, he's... he's attracted, he's drawn to us in those places where we feel our, <laughs> our weakness, we feel our insufficiency. And Elijah's experience of just ordinary humanity is perhaps just helping him to be educated about how dependent he is and how he needs to therefore be wise about himself. But it's not just the kind of neutral 
weakness that Elijah's being confronted with in this story, there is a sense of genuine failure, it seems, that's involved. And it's worth thinking this through subtly because I, I think it's, it's, it's not a simple thing here. You might think, well, it, it, what is the sin? Has Elijah done anything wrong? Our, our uh, knowledge of Elijah, if you know Elijah's story, if you know your Bible at all, I, I appreciate for many of us, we're just kind of learning. You may have never heard of Elijah before. Elijah, to me, has always been the closest, you know, to, I don't know, like an Avengers character in the Bible. Just uh, uh, most of the things that Elijah does would fit well into a a Marvel comic. It's just just extraordinary, epic kind of cosmic battles that involve fire and, 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 you know, extraordinary dramatic things where he shows himself to be God's man. He's kind of, you could imagine him with a cape and a big E, you know, it'd be easy to sort of see him like that. But the Bible says very explicitly, Elijah was a man just like us. In James chapter 5, the Bible wants us to know. In fact, this is one of the ways the Bible makes that clear. We see the man's frailty. We see that he reaches excessive heights, but we also see perhaps excessive depths. There's not many who pray the suicide prayer in the Bible. But here we have him at that degree of, of, of darkness, horror at himself, he's, he's broken. I think he's ashamed. He's, he's feared the queen and run from her. When it would have been normal for him up till now to confront with confidence, speak boldly and to stand out as a result. No one else is doing that in Elijah's day. He's the one man. He's the hero. When Elijah shows up in the Bible, he's such a breath of fresh air. Because at last, a man of God. At last, a good man. And we love him. We we respect him. We're wild about him. He's Elijah. And now we see him broken. We see him disheveled. We see him ashamed. And the word, the phrase that... That seems almost heartbreaking. I find it really moving. Is is there in verse 4. It's enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. There you have it. Perhaps that's the the key way that the the, the story tells us of Elijah's deep self-awareness that's kicking in right here. I've realised... I'm no better than my father's. See, up till now, it seems to me that it's been enough for Elijah that he was a cut above. His self-understanding, his false self-understanding has been entirely built around this kind of construction he had of himself as superior. There's, There's my father's. There's the other tribes of Israel with all their idolatry and drift and monstrous immorality and compromise and cowardice. And then there's me. And he knows it. He knows the story. He's lived in the story. He's believed the legend. And subtly but surely, what's crept into his soul is some kind of satisfying self-conception and self-conceit. He, he's, he's, he's lived off it. It's sustained him. I'm, I'm better. 
I'm above, I'm superior. I thank my God that I'm not like these other ones. Remember that phrase somewhere else in the Bible maybe? The story Jesus told of the, the two men in the temple. Oh, I thank my God I'm not like this sinner over here. We can, without knowing it, if, 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 if Elijah can allow this pride, this false self-understanding to creep in, then surely we can and surely I can and surely I have. <laughs> So the journey that God will take us on is one of uncomfortable self-discovery. There, there are times in our lives where he seems insistent on helping us to not be impressed with ourselves. See, the person that's impressed with themselves, he can't really use that person. It's not much that God will have to do with someone who's full of themselves. The Bible says it. It says he knows the proud from afar. He resists the proud. He's not really that interested. If you are impressed with yourself, I can assure you God isn't. And Elijah has somehow crept into this, this thing, oh, well, who I am is, is superior. And it's painful for him to go through this deconstructing process. But that's what we're seeing happen here. He's realising... I'm no better than my fathers. I'm no better than my fathers. And it's a, a horror to him, but it's necessary. This is what I think John Calvin meant. He said, we don't really get to know God until we start to see who we really are. And you need to have this same experience that this man is, by God's kindness, having here. And, and Paul describes it in the New Testament when he says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, when he talks about the tough moments that he's been through. He says, this, this was done so that we would not put our confidence in ourselves, but in him who raises the dead. This is surely his story right here. God's raising the dead. That's, that's what he's in the business of doing. There's a kind of false self that you can construct that's it's really got everything to do with comparison. And comparison is the thief of joy. As long as I'm, I'm better than everyone else in the room, as long as, all right, maybe not everyone, most people in the room, all right, maybe not most people, but as long as I'm better than him or her. My friend, it, it might satisfy you, but <laughs> if this man had to be brought to this point, of self-discovery then you will too if you're really pursuing God but it's not the only piece and I'm so grateful because the, the third and, and final part of self-discovery here if God, God helps Elijah to see his creatureliness and then starts to help him see his, his frailty his sin, his failure he also helps him to see his destiny his identity as God would renew it as God would restore it as God would re-establish it. Because by the end of the chapter, we see a man freshly commissioned. <laughs> the clear path to run, a clear lane to pursue. God, God sets this man up. How does he do it? Well, he begins to speak destiny to him. He begins to remind him of his story, in fact. He takes him back to Mount Horeb. He, even the, the journey, where does he take him? He takes him to Sinai. He takes him back to Israel's place of encounter takes him back to the place of the thunder and the lightning, the fire, the rushing wind, the earthquake. And Elijah is exposed to glorious divine majesty. 
to the, to the point where if any of us were there, it would, it would shake us to the core. It's dramatic. When you read that paragraph, it, it, it's, meant, it's intended to unsettle us. Imagine yourself desolate and alone in a, in a place. Uh, you try and hide in a cave, but the voice calls you out of the cave and you have to stand there as you watch the magnificence of God shown in creation and everything, including the ground, is shaken around you. What's God doing here? I think Elijah has been scared, right? He's been terrified. He's been terrified of the queen, the idolatrous, hateful, vengeful queen. She's, she's put out a contract. She wants him whacked. And, and the whole nation really is against Elijah, so he thinks. And it's been enough to shake him. How does God deal with us when we're shaken? Well, sometimes he shakes us harder. Sometimes he, he shows us who to really be frightened of. And Elijah has this moment of realising he's, he's not changed. He's still God. Everything can be shaken except that which we cannot be shaken. Sometimes if, if your child gets frightened, if you've got young children, if you're a dad or a mum, you might, you might find it necessary to grab them, hold them tight, almost to shake them out of their trembling awareness of all the, the dangers around. When you're a small child, your, your dad's in charge of everything, isn't he? Your dad can do anything because he's dad. This is what Elijah needs reminding of. I, I've got someone covered me, he's followed me, surrounds me and he controls everything, he shakes everything and he grabs me and he doesn't finish with that, he starts to speak destiny to him, he starts to speak story to him I want you to go and appoint this king I want you to go and appoint this prophet and this king will bring justice and judgment to the nation, this prophet will see to it that that king brings justice and judgment to the nation, God is saying the story goes on Elijah, my story is not defied and you have a part to play in it. In fact, your part is absolutely pivotal. God speaks destiny. God speaks purpose to him. Your sense of who you are must include a sense of purpose, destiny, calling to obedience to God. If you want to start to understand yourself, you've got to start to understand how you are under the authority of a God who's called you to tasks Tasks which will be tough and difficult. It won't always be a dream. It won't be Disneyland. But it will be ultimately what you're made for and anything less than that will leave you ultimately bored. We can't live in futility. No one can. Elijah couldn't. So God says, I've got these things for you to do, my servant. But it's not just about destiny, purpose, meaning tasks. It's about sonship, right? Because a father doesn't just pick up his child if they've been frightened, if they're shivering with, with fear in a situation, a good father will also start to whisper. It's precisely what we see here. Start to speak, start to get close. Put your lips right to the little one's ears. And it's staggering to me. You know, I think Elijah, at this point, you know, after he said, Lord, kill me. And the next thing he knows, it seems, you know, is, is earthquakes and fire. He's oh, flip, I shouldn't have prayed that. You know, maybe he's taken me seriously. And he's waiting. I don't know what he's waiting for. The terror 
of Sinai, the law, thou shalt not. Remember, that's where it all took place, God's commands, God revealing himself by confrontation against wickedness, by speaking out his standards, his laws, his rules. Do not live this way. You will be a holy people. You will be a pure people. I have a destiny in mind for you. I don't want you to be like the other nations, trembling before idols. I want you to be a, 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 a steady, secure, holy, chosen nation. That was what Sinai was all about. And Elijah's spine is stiffening. Yeah, I, I've got a destiny. I've got a calling. But that's not the fullness of God's revelation to me. In fact, it even says the Lord was not in the earthquake. Do you notice that? There was a fire. The Lord was not in the fire. <laughs> there was a rushing wind. The Lord was not in the rushing wind. What was God in? How did God reveal himself most surely to Elijah? In this still small voice or the whisper as this translation puts it. How does God want us to know him? At times when we're thinking, I don't know who I am. I don't have a sense of identity. I don't have confidence. I feel like I've failed. How does God respond to you at those times? Just shake you, shake you. Pull yourself together. <laughs> God's way with Elijah is so instructive, isn't it? He comes to him in a whisper. He comes to him and reminds him of his gentleness. Your gentleness has made me great, says David in the Psalms. Truly, God has shown himself most fully in the one who is meek and lowly, who is humble and gentle. You want to know what God is like? How is God with his people? How is God even with his wayward ones who do get frightened of the wrong things, who do rush off, sometimes in cowardly uh, rejection of God, terror, running, 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 so ashamed of our failure. How does God handle that? How does God deal with us at those times? He comes alongside, speaks gently in such a way that it shocks us if we're shocked by earthquakes if we're shocked by fire how much more will we be shocked by the mercy of God the tenderness of God friends is shocking it is to Elijah he covers his face with his cloak having said Lord kill me do you know what the, the irony of this is that Elijah doesn't get killed he's one of the only two people I know of in history who didn't die at all God so ignored that prayer. There are prayers people pray that God ignores. Have you noticed that? Maybe you've had that in your life. I'm sure you have. But it's interesting to me which ones he ignores. I've prayed a stupid load of prayers in my life that he's thankfully ignored. Think of the one that that prodigal son prays in Luke chapter 15. I just want you to make me a slave. Make me a servant. I'll be a servant. I've blown it. I've cocked it up. I've failed. I've failed. I, I'm all that. That's who I am. I'm a slave now. Make me a servant in your house. You know the story. The father doesn't even answer. <laughs> he doesn't even answer him. Does, he just ignores him. My son has returned. Let's, let's throw a party. My son has returned. He was lost and now he's found. He was dead, now he's alive. You will always be surprised at God's kindness, at God's whisper. And he will tell you, he will affirm you in who you really are. It's the most overwhelming thing to know that God, God has shown himself this way. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for 
the way that you reveal yourself to us and surprise us. We sing that song, Lord, your love is surprising. And I pray for each one of us, Lord, that we would have the privilege and joy of being again and again surprised by your mercy. Lord, surely your thundering law, your, your glory and majesty is enough to make us tremble. But we tremble most of all when we see the cross. We see the kindness. We see the mercy of this beautiful God. I pray that we would, each of us, by the Holy Spirit, learn to find our identity as your children and build from there. In Jesus' name, amen.